Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. It is time now for Why It Matters. And we've all heard about the collapse of the Terra USD stable coin sweeping away billions of investor dollars overnight. Even Bitcoin, which is uh, the world's largest token, fell to a two-year low when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates back in June. And while we look at these headlines and we know that, you know, it means bad news, how many of us really know the difference between blockchain and Bitcoin. Yeah. As the world transitions to Web 3.0, blockchain and cryptocurrency have been making rounds in the digital sphere. And while many might know of the high risks associated with these digital assets, what might surprise some is that blockchain actually forms the building blocks for these digital assets. And beyond cryptocurrency, it has useful potential to improve a range of other financial processes. So what are some of the key differences we can learn here? Well, on the line with me this morning is Kai Shin Ao, blockchain trainer for Smart Academy. Good morning. Good morning, Elliot. Thanks for having me here. Kaishin, uh, it's an interesting one. So you guys at Smart Academy are a leading tech educator and digital career transformer. You were established mm-hmm. back in 2018. Tell us a little bit about you know what you've observed in terms of why do people get blockchain and crypto confused? Right, sure. Yeah, so I think to start with this is really just to understand what exactly is a blockchain. In a little bit more technical terms, it's an ad-only distributed ledger where all the newly created transactions are immediately broadcasted and available to all network participants. To simplify that, it's actually, you can think of it like a bulletin board, whereby anyone who has access to this bulletin board can always see the latest transaction from the network and be assured that that is the current state of the network. Right. Using this bulletin board analogy, yep. Kaishin, is there a way to show us how both can actually work hand in hand? Yeah, so I think from that, it's really a technology to get many parties to create one common version of um, something. So the data on the blockchain can actually represent anything. This can be things such as deeds, your titles, or even things such as money. And this is where the use case for cryptocurrency comes in because cryptocurrency is really a public infrastructure for sending value via the web, right? So this is where you start seeing use cases such as Bitcoin, Ethereum come into play. Because these are use cases whereby people could send value uh, via Bitcoin without having to go through the traditional finance system where you need custodians to hold on to the transfers for you. Right, right. Would it be fair for me to describe it as uh, the cryptocurrency being like a post-it pad uh, that you put on this giant bulletin board and it's Mm. transparent and I can see it moving in that sense? Uh, Yes. So everything that is put there and would have been agreed on by whoever's participating in the network, and you can trust that whatever you see on that bulletin board is the latest state and take that in order to then process whatever you need um, that arises from that particular transaction. Okay. Where this bulletin board or this uh, blockchain is concerned, uh, what have you observed in terms of how this tech has evolved over the years? Yeah, so I think the tech has been evolving since 2008, 2009. That was when Bitcoin was first invented. On top of Bitcoin, um, because it had certain limitations around how it could process um, computer code, um, Ethereum was formed. And this is where the whole idea of a world computer came to be. 
Um, instead of, you know, where you have your local desktop and you're running your own programs on your local computer, what Ethereum now enables is actually you're able to write what we call smart contract code. And through this smart contract code, it's actually being run on the Ethereum network, which is hosted by um, the public community. So it's effectively such um, like a world computer where it can process transactions from anyone that's willing to interact with the network as well as have the latest state of the whole um, network. I can see the technical side of things. Mm. Is there a way to illustrate why blockchain increases transparency for all parties involved? Mm, sure. So I think if you take uh, the example such as Bitcoin for cryptocurrency, right, all transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain are actually visible. So contrary to what many people believe where you know, Bitcoin is being used for illicit activities to hide the transactions, mm. by actually using Bitcoin, anyone that has access to the internet will be able to go to certain websites that searches the blockchain for all the transactions. And through analysis, you'll actually be able to see where the Bitcoin originated from all the way through how it traveled to the last wallet. So I think the transparency comes from being able to then show that for every transaction that happens on the network, you're able to see where it um, originated from and where it went to, and the history of that will always be kept public and won't be able to be erased or um, changed by anyone. Okay. Mm. Uh, Kashin, I'm going to attempt something here, right? And if I'm yep. wrong, just shoot me down. I've got no problems with it whatsoever. <laughs> the notion of money laundering through Bitcoin. Are you saying that because of this transparency, right, that even though you can still uh, money launder through Bitcoin, uh, because of the transparency, it's easier for me to investigate that out? Yes. It is easier to see where the transaction has originated from. But the only thing that the public blockchains now, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, the thing that they do allow you to do is called a pseudonymity, which okay. is basically saying that the wallet switch the transactions originates and goes to. The identity behind that might not be able to be traced, but in any time when they want to offboard the Bitcoin you know, to fiat dollars, that's where they usually have to go through the centralized exchanges. And through this, the industry has progressed to a point where by centralized exchanges now require some form of KYC okay. if you are transacting after a certain amount. And through that, you'll then be able to connect the identity to that particular wallet and be able to see that that particular wallet, what was its activity throughout the whole lifetime mm. and to see where the funds are coming in and out from. Mm, okay. I feel that, you know, with regulation, and I've always felt this, to be honest, um, with regulation, it would help. It would be a lot more useful to society. Uh, your opinion, why do you think it's so slow to get this regulation? Why do you think the middlemen, uh, the banks and all that, are so worried about this uh, for the financial sector? Mm, sure, yeah. So I think from the traditional finance sector, the main risk that they're looking at is always um, in the interest of the customer. Every time you interact with a traditional finance sector, you want to be sure that you're not handling any cash that has come from illicit activities. So in order to do this, they actually have a very strong um, risk management process through their Know Your Customer or Anti-Money Laundering services. Okay. So you would need to first get access to the system by passing all these tests. However, at the same time, I think because of the requirements of this test are actually quite costly. The operational to, you know, find the information, um, get the right approvals. Mm. Sometimes these things can end up being exclusionary to those people who are more in need of the transactions. Even for now, like one in six people in the world are actually yeah. bankers yeah. Yeah, because of the cost of transactions and cost of opening a bank account. So I think through that, regulation has always been trying to catch up because 
they have to take into account consumer protection as well. Yes. At the same time, they can't be too proactive because if you are too proactive, you end up killing innovation. Whereas if you are too reactive and you completely ban the whole thing, you might be leaving out this very disruptive technology which has the potential to actually disrupt and make things much more efficient and transparent in the industry. Okay. Which in theory is supposed to be a good thing. Yeah. In terms of yeah, having the practical um, side of things and seeing how it works, I think at the moment, because cryptocurrencies are dealing a lot with monetary value, and that is why the government is always conscious, because like you mentioned earlier, you know, on the Luna and the Terra USD collapse, actually a lot of people got burned yeah. um, from that because they didn't understand what they were getting into, but then the opportunities for easy profits is always something that we all love to chase. Ah, it's like, yeah, yeah. If it's 20%, I just throw my money in, I trust my friend. My friend might not have known anything, but he might have just recommended it. It might have worked for the past two, three months, but then might not have been sustainable in the long term. That's a really good point that you bring up. Mm. Uh, I want to uh, jump to Smart Canopy's course curriculum. Mm. I mean, having you know discussed all these things with you, how hard is it to ensure that the curriculum is curated in tandem with the evolving market needs in the blockchain sphere? Because uh, it moves quite fast. Mm. Yep. So for our courses at Smart Academy, we really focus on real-world examples and case studies. So we allow the students to apply the knowledge to their work. And in order to do this, the main thing that we focus on the um, course is really on the key concepts behind blockchain as well as the particular um, application of cryptocurrencies. Right. So the focus of the course is really to quickly build up a strong understanding of the key concepts that can then be easily transferred to the student's preferred domain. Mm-hmm. Because when we talk about innovation now, it's more than just understanding the code. The innovation or like how some companies have a chief innovation officer type of thing, it's really about understanding the concepts and applications. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you think that, you know, with all of that in mind, the role of a banker is going to change in the future? I do think so because it's quite a disruptive technology. It does bring in certain advantages even within the traditional finance sector such as um, you know, your reconciliation timing mm. or risk that comes with that. They will be able to save a lot of operational costs by moving to this technology. And as you said, this is just really another class of technology which can then be applied to various domains. So there's a lot of potential for the technology to actually move between different domains and actually help with the reconciliation and the efficiency and transparency in each of these domains. Okay, I get that. And I really wanted to ask, you know, where you see the potential of blockchain moving forward. Right now, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, cross domains and transparency, but what do you think blockchain is essentially preparing the economy for? What ultimate outcome are we looking at? Sure. So I think you made a mention to Web3 earlier. And really the case of Web3 is, the idea of Web3 is really just to own your own data. And I think that's very important nowadays because you do hear about, you know, people having less trust in platforms such as um, Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok, even with, um, you know, US having all these scandals with the China in terms yeah, of things yeah. they're looking at all the data. And they're trying but to pull think, out, yeah. Yes. So I think from there is really just to understand that blockchain enables people to actually own their data. So, for example, if I'm on Shopee right now, if I'm buying something, the data stays with Shopee. If there's any dispute resolution between me and um, supplier, uh, Shopee has the last say on what happened. They have access to all the data in terms of who, how much money do you send, did the person actually send the thing. And they'll be able to determine that. 
However, on the blockchain network system, in the future, if you own that data, and all this data is publicly accessible, it'll be much easier to then say that, okay, this is what has actually happened. And then people can see that, okay, yes, I own this data, and I'm able to say that this is what actually happened, and that's actually enforceable in court once right. it becomes more legalized. Right. Question, just a final question, and uh, this is pure speculation, purely because I watch too many sci-fi movies. Do you think? Uh, <laughs> do you think blockchain lays the foundation for a future decades from now or centuries from now where uh, money doesn't matter anymore? I'm not too sure about the money doesn't matter anymore, but I mean, if you talk about the Hollywood, the cyberpunk, that's all the ones that you usually hear about crypto yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's where we see it going because okay. by removing the middleman, you end up giving a lot of value to the end users as well. Right. Okay. been speaking with uh, Kaishin Ao, who's blockchain trainer for Smart Academy. Kaishin, thank you so much for your time this morning. Take care. Have a great day. Yeah? All right. Thanks, Elliot. Bye. Have a good day. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.